Um, and uh, we've been talking about the church for quite a few weeks. And uh, I wanted to um, continue what we were talking about last week when we spoke about the issue of belonging. And I said that there are roughly two kinds of be- uh, desires for our searches for belonging. One is because of our loneliness, because of our need for people. And, uh, and there are ways in which um, that search for belonging can sometimes be a, a vicious cycle in which our need for autonomy, our, our holding on to our own autonomy, can actually prevent us from actually being connected and having a sense of belonging. And I looked at the word, when we looked at the word belonging, belong, as uh, the key to it all. We, if you want to belong, you have to belong to not yourself, but you have to belong in some ways to the Lord. And in, thank you, Daniel in a relative sense, to one another. But there's another reason why we are searching for, um, for belonging, and that has to do with something more positive, and that is the thing that, is that we are longing to be part of some group of people that are significant, are doing significant things, that are doing important things, that God is using, and special things happen. And we want to be part of that. Um, I've been, had the privilege of several times uh, in churches that I've been involved in being a part of a, a group of people that I was so proud to be, so privileged to be a part of because of the fact that God was using this group of people in very mighty ways and just supernatural ways, ways that, are w- that went beyond, way beyond our own uh, our natural abilities. And uh, I, wouldn't, I would like to share a little bit about that because I believe that when the presence of God comes upon the church yeah, and the Lord says, I'm there in the midst. He doesn't just mean that he's just going to be the air that we're just going to breathe in a kind of a passive sense. He actually means that he'll be active in our midst and he will manifest his being here with us in very special ways. I've been in, in several of the churches that I was uh, involved in in which the presence of God was so strong that it's almost as if, it's almost as if the atmosphere was charged. It was charged. And I remember several people who would come into the church and they would say that the moment we step up into the, into the step, and it's almost as if there's an invisible line, the moment we stepped on that, the Holy Spirit start, started working and miracles started happening. Many people that I I've know were healed of incurable diseases just by stepping into the space. I've, I've, I've seen um, situations which I'd, I'd only heard about in revival in Argentina, but in my, one, of my, one of the churches that I was involved in, there was someone who... Um, so we had a church in which we had windows and we had the windows open, and it was in a house, and someone kind of gathered with his family outside the house, not a member of the church, not even a Christian, and he was very curious to see what was going on because as he looked in, he saw people being healed, and some people were overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit that they, was, they swooned, you know? It wasn't emotional. It was nothing, nothing emotional. It was just like a God thing, and they were healed. And so he got so curious that he looked through the window, and then he moved his head through the window. Before long, he tumbled into the church because the Holy Spirit struck him in such a wonderful way that he was delivered. We, we didn't know that he was a medium. Do you have mediums here? I'm sure you do. <laughs> we just don't know about it. Huh? No, no mediums? <laughs> we're, only, we're only extreme. <laughs> we don't have mediums here. We're only extremes. Um, someone who communicates with the devil, with spirits and demonic spirits. And he would, uh, he would do uh, it through the medium of uh, Ouija boards and all that, but he was filled with, with demon, demonic spirits. And the moment he fell in, he tumbled in, the, mem- uh, the members of the church who were nearby just went there and laid hands on him, and he was delivered from spirits. He was so tormented, you know. That's what I mean by the presence of God. Yeah? When we talk about the presence of God, we don't just mean something passive. But, you know, I believe that 
we all want to be belonging to something in which God is doing. And what God wants to do is to, be, to, to work not just through us as individuals, but through a company of people who are united and who have been fitted together. Amen? And I want to share a little bit about that. For, for that to happen, um, we'll just do a little bit of teaching, um, and we'll just go through Matthew chapter 18. So if you can read, read Matthew chapter 18 with me, uh, I'm using the NASB, um, and we'll read it from verse 1. Are you ready? Okay. In that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So this, the whole chapter is about the kingdom of heaven. Yeah? The church is not necessarily the kingdom of heaven. Yeah? The kingdom of the heaven is the dynamic of God's reigning and ruling among a group of people. Yeah? Kingdom of, is, of heaven is the place, it may be, uh, uh, just two people. But it's a place in which God reigns and He rules and He's able to do the God things that is Him. It's not the devil who reigns, not human, human uh, autonomy that reigns, but God who reigns. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the action of God, right? Destroys the works of, of the devil. Jesus says, um, when you see the finger of God and demons cast out, then you know the kingdom of heaven has come to you. Kingdom of heaven is not heaven, that kind of sweet, uh, you know, that sweet, that place we go to in the sweet by and by. But the kingdom of heaven is active, something of God, a dimension of God's moving in this particular dimension of space and time. Yeah. So he says, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven, in this realm, in this dimension? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted, or another translation is turned. Yeah? If you're turned and become like, little, like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Let's stop here. We'll talk about the first thing. And that has to do with the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven being received like a little child. Yeah, he says the kingdom of heaven is, involves a conversion to being like a little child and also receiving the little children, those who are little children. There's two things about this kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven has to do with the fact that within the church, which is not perfect, is far from perfect, that can be very ugly as well, there are kingdom of heaven dynamics, nevertheless, that move when the Holy Spirit is working. And Jesus was speaking about the fact that if you want to experience the kingdom of heaven in church, you have to know one thing. There are certain conditions that involve kingdom of heaven things happening. And one of the things has to do with being converted to be like a little child. To be converted to be like a little child or to be turned to be like a little child. There are times in which in our lives, we get to be like that. And we should be like that all the time. There's a certain childlikeness that's required for us to be in the kingdom of God. To be not childlike is to be like how most adults are. You know, most adults, 
we are wanting to constantly calibrate and account for where we are in relation to other people. Don't you find? How am I compared with other person? How is my score compared with other people's score? How is my talent compared with this other person's talent? How's my, uh, my, my, uh, my score in exams or on the field, on the playing field, compared with other people? We're constantly checking our position compared with other people. A child is not like that. A child doesn't really care. The child just has fun in the thing itself without counting for other people. But there are times in which we get so desperate for God and we know our true condition and we know what God has for us that is so much greater than what we are experiencing that we say, I need to start all over again. I need to be like a little child and take out my old foundations and I don't know, I, I, I don't know anything. But I know this, that I cannot carry on the same way as I've, I've been before. And I have to be like a little child. Have you ever been in situations like that? Where you really are failing and failing and failing and you realize that no matter how hard you try, you still fail. I've been in situations like that. It's horrible. Until someone tells you, you need to start all over again and you have to learn it again and not assume that you know stuff that you know. Okay? Have you been in a situation like that? Yeah, okay, good. Kim's nodding. That's why she's so wise. And childlike as well, I think. I have to say that about you, Kim. You're a good example. As uh, many are here, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased to say. When I was um, in my previous church, um, and I had been involved in church planting, I had seen many great things God was doing. The thing about our cohort is that the guys were pastored by our pastor, who's male, and the gals were pastored by his wife, was female. So we had this natural division between the boys and the girls. Okay, I must have been about 21, 22, 23. By the time I came to 24, I had been involved in church planting and I had seen many great things that God had done, many miracles, and I'd seen people come to the Lord by droves, right? Droves. I think that I had seen what seemed to be almost like a, a, a revival in my campus. And it seemed like the places that I was involved in church planting, God was just so gracious in, in fulfilling His work. The thing about it is that the girls would always poo-poo what we were doing. They would say, yeah, you do all these miracles and people come to the Lord, but Look how not solid they are. They're, they don't have any depth. They don't have any... So they were just constantly bickering with us, okay? It was terrible, the competition between the two of us at our two camps. And as an adult, I'm constantly keeping account. And I refuse to let them criticize my ministry. And we boys, we were, we were going up and down the west coast of Malaysia, seeing healing campaigns and seeing people come to the Lord and all that. It's amazing, amazing things. And we were outraged that the girls would say, the people are not solid. To be frank, they weren't. They would experience the, the power of God, but then they would not be able to stand under persecution, they couldn't hear from God, they couldn't, all, all, all kinds of things. But we refused to admit it. Because we would say, well, you guys are deep, but I don't see the impact you're making. I don't see the imp impact you are, you're making. So we had this ding-dong battle and all that. And then one day, after I saw that many of the people in my church churches seem to backslide. 
even though they've seen the miracles of God. I started praying, and after praying, the Lord said, you don't have what they have. No. I refused it. After praying, I fasted just to make sure that I get it right so that I don't hear any voices of the devil saying that you don't, you have, you don't have what they have. I bound the devil and all that. And then after that, I had accountability with my male church plant friends, and they agreed with me. Now, we have different dimensions. They have that, we have this. And so I felt very assured that we were on the right track, and account, as far as the accounting and the competition was concerned, we were fine. We were just different. It is true that their disciples were more solid. Our disciples were a little bit like, a bit loose too. But we are, have a different dimension. And then the Lord said to me, He spoke to me because I was, I was, I was actually very con- concerned, concerned that we were seeing miracles, but it wasn't percolating to the youngest member of the church. Because I believe that all of us have the Holy Spirit. All of us can do these things. It's not just special people, right? Correct? And then I prayed about it and the Lord spoke to me. You need to go and learn from scratch. How those guys learn how to hear from God in a deep way, in a practical way, in a way that their lives seem to be changed. They're not up and down. They're not looking for the next miracle. They know God working, and in a steady way, the lives are being built up. And I had to be like a child. And so I went to one of them and I said, can you teach me what you have? Sometimes we come to places like in our lives where our position relative to other people is really not important anymore. But there's something more compelling Something compelling in which you want to see God work do more. And if that means being corrected left, right, and center, so be it. Because that thing has gripped you and you know you're living for something bigger than your accounting before other people. Does that make sense? Yeah? And so began a journey that I had in terms of learning how to hear the voice of God healing how to do devotions in a way that can bring me more into intimacy from God and to share it with people and teach other people so that my, the people that I am discipling would be solid, they would know God and be profound in things of God, but fruitful as well in not just big things, big organized things, but in the daily running of life in which every day God is real in their lives. I realized that me being a child was necessary. Sometimes you get compelled by something more important than your ego or your position in life with respect to other people. Something more important is, is at hand and God gives you the grace to just, so, just humble yourself and just go for it like a child. Amen? And that's what happened with me. And so I was given the youngest one to go and, uh, to go and teach me and, 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 uh, and this, this pastor's wife said, okay, you can learn under this person who was about five years younger than me. When you're, 21, when, you're, when you're 23 years old, five is a lot of years, a lot younger. But I was completely free, and that became probably the most important thing in my life for several years. Quiet learning to hear from God in the way in which I not only get word, but I can also know what is it in, in me that is a blockage from experiencing the reality of that. So what God, Jesus is saying is, is the kingdom of God is like being a little child. I do admit that we are not always like little children. But I want to say that if we are little children, it's be, it, we can become like little children. The grace of God is upon us to be humble and to humble ourselves so that we can learn from scratch. And sometimes we come to a point we say, I don't know anything. Before that, a lot of my 
knowledge of uh, my, my Christian life was about what books I've read, what profound authors I knew, what kind of intellectual kind of um, um, exposure I had. And so I remember when I was in college, I was the literature sec- secretary for the, for, the, for, for, the, uh, for, the, for the for the fellowship. We had about 400 people in our fellowship, big fellowship, but no one, no new people came to the Lord. And I was the literature secretary. And I prided myself on being a person who had read many, many books and could recommend all the books uh, that, uh, that people needed, especially the more intellectual ones. Silly me. I wish I was, I was more humble than that. And I realized at a certain point that when I saw certain Christians who knew the reality of new gods deeply and could almost be people who are in, it's like, they were in sync with God. I knew I was nowhere. And I don't mean that in a competitive sense or in a performance sense. I just realized that I had hardly started in my Christian life. And that's where I went around. I just told people, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. People ask me questions. And before I used to have this great answer, this profound answer, I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But that's how God touched me and uh, healed me and helped me to grow. But there's another aspect about being a child in the kingdom of God, and that is in verse 5. Okay? In verse 5 it says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck, and be drowned in the depth of the sea. There's another aspect about being a child or or, or our relationship with childlikeness that Jesus is speaking about. And that has to do with how we receive a child. How we receive a child. A child could be a young person, could be a person who's young in age. It could also be a child spiritually, a spiritual child. And I've noticed in America especially that there is a premium put upon being Christians that are sophisticated. Sophisticated. Intellectually, socially, culturally sophisticated. And there's a certain way in which we tend to look down on Christians who are not sophisticated in this way. I have never seen a nation in which Christians criticize Christians so much as America. In fact, we, we actually do worse than non-Christians with our brethren, and we sort of bogeyize oh, these Christians, Christians. We criticize Christian music. I think I've, ne- I've never seen so much criticism of Christian music Whatever our taste is, is, but it's almost as if Christians like to enjoy, they relish making fun of their Christian brothers and sisters, and especially the more hokey ones, the hick ones, the less sophisticated ones, the more traditional ones, or the ones who are just more simple-minded or whatever. And C.S. Lewis said, and when I see the singing of hymns of some simple farmer with all his heart, I realize I am not worthy to even touch his boot lace because he knows something more than my sophisticated taste. C.S. Lewis was, uh, did not like hymns that much. Did not like the poetry of hymns. And, you know, I, I remember studying 18th century Augustine literature and how the critics of hymn writers like Isaac Watts and, and John Newton and all that. No, you know, as Christians, we love these ones. We love even the poetry of it, but the secular people don't, don't necessarily feel the same way about the form, form of it. And, 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 and C.S. Lewis, as a medieval Renaissance uh, uh, critic of, of literature, had that. But he says, but when I see uh, old farmer John singing 
with his dirty boots and singing with all his heart, I feel smitten by my, in my heart that I don't even deserve to touch his lace spiritually. But I want to say this for all of us who live in California and are more uh, urbane. Watch it. Watch it that you don't despise these little ones, so to speak. Because that attitude has deeper roots. And I don't know what those roots may be for you. But as Christians, the spirit that is rife in the church today is wrong. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. We are so wanting to be on the good side of the of what um, Schleiermacher calls, you know, uh, he calls them the, the, what does he call them? The, the culture despisers. He calls them the culture despisers. What he means is that there are Christians who are culture despisers, who despise the simplicity of the Bible. And I feel that sometimes we as Christians, can be so cool that our language and sometimes our insensitivity to people who maybe not as not as smart as, as us or you or can be so dismissive that we don't have koinonia. We don't have that. And I wonder whether it is important for us to actually experience the kingdom of God in the midst of our urbane and our sophisticated churchiness. I've seen videos of how Christian worship music is just poo-pooed, just poo-pooed. And I feel that as, as Christians, we need to love the brethren better. Amen? And if you're willing to, God will put the love in our hearts for us. So that's, that is the, the, that aspect about, about children. Receive the children. Now, I realize that sometimes we can feel that it's cool for Christians to cuss. It's cool for Christians to, whatever, behave as much close to the world as possible just because we are so urbane. And I want to put it to you that there may be people in our congregation who really have a hard time with that. You know, I used to love joking. Still do. I can't, sometimes can't help it. I'm the bane of my children. My children just groan every day because of my jokes. And I did not know how bad those jokes were until I had children. But sometimes my jokes really hurt people. And I know that there are ways in which humor makes people have a reaction of funniness. There's something about jokes that are based upon triggering a partisan or a particular lo localized opinion against someone else or against another particular thing that becomes the basis of jokes, especially in stand-up comics that I've heard here. I think that's not right. And I felt convicted several times when people, we won't mention who, really were hurt really stood up to me and just said, that is a terrible joke. My answer is this, like, you just don't get it. You just don't get that joke. And then I felt the Lord said, no, you're not free to, 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 to joke like that just because you think it's funny. Watch out for that. Because the Bible does talk about coarse jesting cause jesting. This is not a rebuke. I'm just saying this is how God is purifying us. Yeah. And so I want to say that the Spirit of Christ in the kingdom of God is gentle. It's patient. 
there are times in which your brother or your sister has a problem if you are drinking alcohol. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem if you do. But there are going to be times in which I will not because of the fact that I have a brother or sister who has a problem with that. I can come up with all kinds of Bible verses to say why it's okay. But there's a way in which Jesus says, don't cause these younger ones to stumble. It is worse for you to put a to, to cause them to stumble than for a millstone to be put over your head. You see, what's happening is that Jesus is introducing us to different kind of spirit, a different kind of spirit, even more than different kind of values. There's a different kind of spirit there. And there's a way in which the Lord is not pleased when the church is clever. But the Lord is pleased when the church is gentle and accepting and is willing to have one eye less than to insist on its freedom or to insist on its rightness. And so Jesus says, if he causes you to sin or you, call, or, or you, you know, in the same vein as this stumbling, you take your eye off. That means you won't be able to see that well. You won't have the freedom to do the things that you really have the right to and you have every right to, 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 to see with both eyes. But you will experience a different kind of freedom, a freedom that comes from limitation. And what I believe that the Lord wants to do in our country, in this country, is that He wants us to experience a certain liberty that doesn't come because we get to do what we want to do, but because of the fact that we live a freedom with a limitation, the freedom of limitation. Because we love our brother, our sister more than our freedom. And when the church conflates freedom or liberty or justice with the love of God, sometimes, all the time, sometimes we get it wrong. Because we can dole out our freedom-speaking, loving stuff, or our justice-loving stuff, with a wrong spirit. And what Jesus is saying here is this. There is something that I value higher that has my kingdom in it, and that has to do with the love of God, a certain childlikeness. Amen? i leave that with you. I understand that that word will limit your freedom in some ways limit the freedom of the flesh. But may I say this, I am searching for belonging. A belonging that comes with a company of people who are so willing to bend for God that God is able to do whatever He wants. That's the first point. Let's look at the second point, okay? Uh, we can see this in verse, oh sorry, I'll just say one more thing. It is uh, on this point, verse 10. See to it that you despise, you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the, father, the face of my Father who is in heaven. What does this mean? The, the word angel here does mean messenger. It just means messenger. It could be in the form of uh, some, uh, a, very, a very, very lighted up being with thousands of kilowatts, or it could mean just a messenger. Okay, it could be an invisible messenger. What Jesus is saying is this. These young ones, they may not be as smart as you, but they have messengers speaking to, to, to them, and they, in these messages, behold the Father constantly. That means they have intimate knowledge that he will give to you. So what Jesus is basically saying is, watch out. You may think you're smarter than them, but they have an intimate communication with God to their angels. All right, verse 12. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which has not, that have not gone astray. So it, it is not the will of your Father who in heaven that one of these little ones perish. 
wow, that's an amazing. It's amazing. I just wrote in my Bible, wow, wow. It says, it is not the will of, G- of the Father in heaven that any one of these little ones perish. It is important for us to know that, right? That whenever you see someone who's straying or who's going further away from God and you want to go and chase after them, you've got to know deep, 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 deep in your heart that God is on your side to cause them not to perish. Or else you'll think, oh, well, that person makes his choice, he's gone, okay, gone, that's gone. And you're defeated right from the start. How do I get the faith, the solid conviction inside me to have such confidence that the Father does not want any one of these little ones to be gone. The second point I want to, we, when you speak about the kingdom of God in the church, when you speak about being devoted to the fellowship, has to do with the fact that there is this strength of love that causes us, he's not talking about the shepherd as Jesus, he's talking about the church, actually, talking about the kingdom of God causing us to seek and to search and to love those who are missing in our midst. Now, COVID is a very special time because COVID covers up what's really happening. COVID causes us to not be able to see each other. So, if I think about church now as this company of people, We are all part of the church. But COVID causes us not to see many other people who may be on Zoom, but who may not be on Zoom either. COVID affords us the opportunity to see in the invisible the micro things that God is doing. COVID causes us to have to see through eyes of revelation, of prayer, of love, those who are missing. To see who's in need beyond what we see with our physical eyes. Does that make sense? COVID causes different kinds of heart muscles to be exercised. If we think about church as whoever's coming, or in terms of you know, who's attending, then we only see things from, the, from, our, from, our, from our physical eyes. But what COVID does is that it puts us in a situation in which God calls us and He's training us, I believe, to see what other people can't see with their physical eyes. Have you been in a situation in which you really searched for someone who's missing? Really search for that person who is missing. Nobody else cared, but God put it in your heart to search. You begin, as you're doing that, to open up and activate supernatural senses in your heart. COVID is an opportunity, a p- opportunity for us to move in the Spirit from a heart, from a heart of love, and not just from what's obvious, from what we see with our physical eyes. I'll give you an illustration. When Zephy was two years old, we went to a friend's house for lunch, and they had an above-ground pool. So in this above-ground pool, I think the height was around five feet or some, five, five feet or so, and they had a heavy ladder that you have to, to get up before you get into the pool. Okay. So all the children, you know, I think Kaylin at the time was maybe 10 years old, um, were, were playing in the pool. Most of the children could swim, at least with a float. Quite a big above-ground pool. And we were all there. And after we all... You know, they all had their swim. They all came out of the pool. We made sure that the, the, the heavy ladder was moved away from the pool and put far away on the other side. And so we all had lunch. I think it was lunch together. 
And in the house, we were all noisy, partying, sort of just enjoying it all. And somewhere along the line, as, as, as all the, the noise and, and, the, and, and, the, and the partying was going on, there was a little bit of a lull. There was a little lull. You know how sometimes it's noisy and then suddenly everybody decides to not say anything for a short while. And it was a bit like that. And then Cindy said, did you hear that? And all of us, I think there must have been, must have been about you know, eight or ten of us, no, didn't see, hear anything. It was, in fact, it was quiet. We didn't hear anything. And immediately she got up. She didn't even wait to hear whether how answer. She went to the, where the children were with, in another room and said, did you hear Zephy? Did you see Zephy? And she found that Zephy was not there. So she ran out of the house. It all happened very, very quickly. I think Cindy was motivated by, motivated by something other than conscious um, thought, right? She goes out and she goes to the pool and finds that the ladder has been put back on the pool. Oh no, it wasn't, in, the ladder was not in the pool. Okay, the ladder was still on the other side. So somehow, Zephy, at age two or, so, or something, had, I don't know how she did it, but she was in the pool. And she was holding on to a floater. And Cindy, of course, got in there and saved her. I think that's why she's a swimmer now. She almost died. But I got to tell you, see, there are some special years that God wants to give us in this time of COVID. But you have to have a heart. You see, koinonia is not really koinonia unless we have a heart for somebody who other people have not noticed. Does that make sense? The love of God is is of such substance. And I wonder whether we can just take a moment and uh, just close your eyes for 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 a moment. And I just want to invite you to just bring, lift your heart up for the Lord. Is there someone that you have had the experience of really yearning and chasing and pursuing and going after who was on the verge of disaster, of tragedy? Is there someone who you have at the experience of seeing that person come out of danger. And so today I want to invite us to just lift up our hearts before the Lord. Someone's missing. Someone's missing in BCF. And I, my guess is that you have thought about that person once before, at least. And that person is still missing. I wonder whether God wants to use you. Because of such is the kingdom of God. Praise you, Lord. In fact, may I put it to you that for this year, the Lord has one person that perhaps He's calling you to add to your circle of people that you're caring for that are not here. They're missing now. You don't know how they're doing, but there's something in your heart that yearns for them and longs for them and goes after them. And even as they are in the desert, wandering, perhaps on a precipice, frightened, there is one person who's coming after them, and that's you. 
And may I suggest a theme for all of us this year? Add one. Add one person who has who is missing. Maybe a Christian, maybe a non-Christian. Add one. That perhaps within the next six months, the Lord would have added one. Because he's seeking and saving. Jesus said, it is not the will of the Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. And you will know that deep in your heart. You will not think that there's any shadow behind the heart of face of God that thinks, no, I've ordained for this person, I've predestined that person to be, to be a goner. There will be not even that. There will be not an iota of that in you. You have a deep conviction. And you know that you know that you know that you know that the devil knows that you know that it is not the will of the Father that this young person or this older person will perish. Amen. Add one. Yeah, add one. During COVID, we see these things happen, you know. I love worshipping um, here in BCF because it doesn't matter whether this place is full or it's not. When we start worshipping, the sound of the worship is so big, you'd never guess there are maybe 60 in the congregation. Isn't that amazing? That we can transcend our physicality. And when we worship God and we sing, it's as if we are singing with myriads and myriads of angels. The sound is so amazing. That is the kind of thing that happens in COVID. Where in COVID, we go beyond what's physically seen to be what's behind. I believe that God is giving us a period of time now to develop our heart, to stretch up our soul, to develop our eyes, our hearts, our, our desires, so that when COVID is over, we will be very different from when COVID is around. Amen? We're not just waiting for COVID to end. Yes, we are actually. <laughs> it's about time. But in the meantime, God is developing us, enlarging our heart. Amen? The third thing I want to mention has, that has to do with um, the kingdom of God and this sense of belonging is a certain way in which we relate to one another, not just our heart, but to how we relate. And so let's have a look at this. In, in verse 15, it says, if your, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Yeah, in private. That means you don't put it on Twitter. If you've got your peeves against other people in the church or other people in, in, the, in the body of Christ, you don't just criticize them. You go to them in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. That means you never had that brother before he offended you. But that offense gives an opportunity for you to go to him and develop that you don't just remain a certain connection. That you don't just remain in the in the in the in in a, in a place of non-offense, but you actually go deeper and have a brother. Isn't that amazing? So you don't go to Twitter, don't go to Facebook or whatever. You go to him in private or go to her in private. And, he, and if he listens to you, you have won your brother. And what God is doing here is to actually cause us to win brothers and sisters in the Lord. So we go beyond. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. This is the Old Testament law. Yeah? And uh, so that is evidential. That is, it's not just, I sense that you are talking bad about me or whatever. No, it's about actual evidential facts. It's, it's grounded. Yeah? And if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. But if he refuses to listen to them, let, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even listen to the church, 
let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay. So it's a really an amazing thing. We are living in an age in which we are we 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 um we we believe in inclusiveness. But there is something of a form, and there's a certain special structure of our relationship in which we don't speak against a brother or a sister behind that person's back. It's interesting that we were talking about that uh, during communion. There's a way in which God has given us proper ways in which we communicate with one another if there's been a, a sin or an offense that's been created against each other. And he says, you go straight to the person. Don't gossip. Don't speak to other person, even though it's safe. There's a way in which sometimes we can uh, create this new morality in which safe places are of greater, uh, um, great, greater um, uh, moral weight than truth. You know? And there's a way in which what, what uh, Jesus is saying is this. No, actually, if he refuses to stop or she refuses to stop um, uh, sinning against you or does not come under proper adjudication, then that person should be not even um, a part of this company of people called the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Isn't that amazing? And so I want to put it to you that there's a way in which the presence of God comes upon a certain righteousness by which we actually relate to one another. Yeah? A certain righteousness that we relate to one another. We don't necessarily do the easy thing. We do the thing that is according to the Lord's um, um, heart and the Lord's uh, structure and form. Then it says in verse 19, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For there two or three have gathered together in my name. I am there in their midst. Verse 19 speaks about another aspect that is connected with everything that we've spoken about. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. This is a really powerful thing. When we can agree in prayer, the amazing things that, that can happen. Now, the word agree here in, in Greek is not just agree intellectually or agree in our mind. It actually has to do with make a compact. Make a deal. Make a compact. Make a commitment together to be committed to one thing. Yeah? So it doesn't mean that we just agree and in terms of opinion, or for that moment in prayer, we just say, yes, I'd like this person to be healed. There is something more than that. And although, although, although all that we spoke about in prayer, agreeing, that all applies. But there's something deeper. I mean, he says, when two or three make a compact, okay, when you, when you, when you make a compact, that means out of all the millions of things in this world that you can be concerned about, about all, uh, out of all the things that we do life together in, we make a compact that is single-minded, that we are committed to seeing God do something mighty and marvelous in this person's life or in that person's uh, future. That kind of commitment has great power. That is. He's saying, when we as a church don't just do life together, but we actually say we are committed to seeing the Lord move in Pasadena. Or the Lord raise up fam our families together. That His kingdom come. That He manifests Himself. He raises up so that we can be people who can manifest His glory so that the world can come to know Him. When you make a compact to be a people who are committed to that, not just to do life together, but to actually make a purpose for our fellowship, something happens. Not only in prayer, but in terms of the, 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 the daily things that happen in life, revelation begins to come. Moves come. Visions begin to come. Because 
the compact brings us into the realm of God's purposes and we are committed to that purpose and we're saying, yes, I want to see people come to the Lord. I want to see people transform. I want to see this thing happen. I want to see your children come to the Lord. Okay? Amen? It also says, you know, when two or three are gathered together, and the word gathered is a very interesting word. The, the Greek has to do with gathering as if, as if in pulling all together from the, the people who, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the elements that are going in diverse directions. It's like pulling it all together. That's one way, one way you can translate it. If all of us are pulled together against the general direction of, 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 kind of, um, of going all over the place, if you are pulled together, damn, I in the midst. That means when God brings together people who would sometimes rather not be around at church or in prayer, when there's this gathering, this, this pulling together, there am I in the midst, in the middle. The rabbis said, right there in the middle. Hallelujah. Amen? I've begin, I've begun to see, we've begun to see in daily prayer tremendous answers. The answers to prayer seem to be more dramatic now. Seem to be more dramatic. Um, Patricia was asking us to pray for her, her grandson, who was a very, a very, very young baby, a newborn baby, who, was, who had COVID and who was... Very, very sick. Very, very sick. She just, she could not be there at the, at the daily prayer. She just texted us and said, pray, please pray. By the time we finished praying, by the time that one hour was over, soon after that, she said, he's better. Isn't that amazing? Kim was sharing with me about how uh, her, her granddaughter had, her, her cat was missing. and. Uh, and uh, we prayed. And that day itself, a few hours later, there the cat was. Small things, big things as well. We've seen tremendous miracles taking place. Amen? And there's, what I want to do is to draw you again, your attention again, to this fact that God wants to release His presence upon a people who just because we gather together, just, just sitting there, there's great power. I've shared with you about how in my former church, a lot of times when people who are demon-possessed they just join the circle for, of, of those who are, who are eating. The moment he'd come in, demons would manifest themselves just like that. Just amazing. There's something of the, the latent energy, the latent power and presence of God that comes when a people are carrying what we've been talking about, Matthew chapter 18, in their hearts. Something without them even doing or saying anything or even attempting to do anything something actually happened. Amen? The last thing has to do with the fact of forgiveness. And this is where I'm really going to end. And uh, I, I won't have time to say too much, because, but I feel that it has been talked about. Cindy was talking about it today uh, during communion. It's, uh, it's amazing how worship, communion, and the message all come together. Peter came, verse 21, and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So Peter was thinking, wow, this is great. Because the rabbi said, you have to only forgive three times. Peter was saying, I'll do better. Seven times. And Jesus says, far be it from you. Far be it from you. That means seven times is not even what I'm talking about. He's talking about seven times seven, and he doesn't mean you have to account, you've got to count seven times seven, 49 times. You forgive 49 times, and 50th time, then you, can, you don't have to forgive. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying is this, there is something about forgiveness that is a grace that's divine, it's supernatural. You can't do it by yourself. What, 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 um, what was happening is this, he tells this story about a man who owed money to this person who had already been forgiven. And he says, be patient with me. Be patient with me. And the person who had been forgiven much was not patient with him. And so what Jesus was saying is this, the patient, patience that we have to have in forgiving is not just being patient to wait for a long time, but patient in seeing that person sin against you or owe you something many, many, many times. To such an extent that the hurt and the wounding 
is no longer a major factor. That healing and forgiveness is what Jesus is speaking about. Amen? We will talk about that if we have opportunity to talk about that. I want to put it to you that even now, that the Lord is calling us to a fellowship. And in this fellowship, there's forgiveness, there's yearning and pursuing after each other, there's a proper way of dealing with offenses, there's a becoming like a little child, receiving a little child. Let us pray. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, into our midst to transform our congregation, our body, to be a people who have something so divine happening that we live beyond our own love, our own patience, our own forgiveness, our own understanding. We ask you that you come and overflow us with your love right now in the name of Jesus. We as little children come before you and say, we are not sufficient for this. And yet, this is the supernatural kingdom that you are making in BCF. We welcome you. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace upon us. That you have forgiven us much. Who can before the great accounting, who can stand? We thank you for your mercy upon us and your love for us that causes us to go beyond our own natural, limited capacities. So we surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.